Hey, good morning, folks. Thanks again for joining us uh, on the Liberty Online platform. Uh, thankful that you're still tuning in, and I hope that this has been beneficial to you. Uh, we're going to continue to move forward in our studies in Mark. We're going to look at Mark chapter 7 this week, and uh, it's, again, pretty impressive how God weaves the, the book of the Bible into our everyday life on a continued basis. To me, it's it's an amazing thing. As I spend now in my 16th year of, of preaching and doing this every week, for the most part, uh, seeing how God brings out circumstances as well as stories inside of the Bible, and they parallel each other in the moments in time in our lives. And it's just an amazing thing to me to see how God cares about us from the beginning to the present and to the future, and to, to keep that all into perspective, especially in the moments that we live in right now and the uncertainty that we feel in our hearts. I pray that, uh, that you are finding some solace in God's Word, that you're, that you're looking to His Word for some guidance and for some assurance and, and for peace as we, as we muddle through this, uh, these life experiences together. So, Today, again, we're going to be in Mark chapter 7, and I'm going to start right with the first verse of the chapter. These first five verses, we see Jesus continuing on his tour uh, through the region, uh, and he's going to continually be pursued by these religious leaders. You're going to see them come up over and over and over because they're looking to, to maintain control of the people. That's really their goal. And, uh, and Jesus is a threat to that because he's amassing these large groups of people. As we talked about last week in Ben's sermon, that there were 5,000 men that had gathered to hear what Jesus was teaching. And now there is a threat to their overall control of the people by the, by the religious standards that they hold up. And this story is no different as we look at it in Mark chapter 7, verse 1. The Pharisees and some teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem, they gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing. Holding to the tradition of the elders, and when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? And so they kind of tipped their hand to us, immediately, because the question that they asked Jesus has nothing to do with who he is or where he derives his authority from or, or why he does things differently, but he is insistently asked and consistently asked over and over again why he's not following the traditions of the elders, why you're not following these man-made laws. You see, if you go back into the Old Testament and you read through portions of it, you will see that there are hundreds of laws dictating how to live and how to do things. And, and God, God gave all of those things for the protection and the provision of His people. But throughout time, 
man continued to add things and layers upon layers of things to separate themselves from the common people. And so these religious leaders were asking Jesus why they don't follow the tradition of the elders, why they didn't ceremonially wash their hands or their plates or their cups and all those things as prescribed by the religious elders of the day. If you were to go to Israel today, and as I had an opportunity to, you would still find ceremonial washing stations in a lot of the public areas so that they can practice their their ritualistic ceremonial washings before they eat, after they go to the restroom, so they are not defiled in an outward way. Jesus has trouble with this because it has nothing to do with their heart condition. It has everything to do with these outside external forces. How do I know that? Because as Jesus replies in verse 6, he says, Isaiah was right. When he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commandments of God and are holding on to human traditions. Jesus comes right back at them and says, you're asking me the Son of God, to explain to you why I am not following the human traditions that you have prescribed for your people. They could not point to anything from God as a command to do what they were doing. They simply were pointing to the human traditions, those traditions of the elders, as something that set them apart. The interesting piece of this passage, so right here in these couple of verses, if you can track with me for one minute, Isaiah is who Jesus quotes. So Jesus goes right to the heart of the Old Testament and to the prophet Isaiah, who was prophesying to the nation of Israel approximately 800 years, about 740 years before this time. About 800 years had elapsed from the time Isaiah started talking to the Jewish people, and Jesus stood before them today. So there was 800 years eclipsed there, and he says, you know what? Isaiah was right 800 years ago when he said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And here I sit, 2,000 years removed from that very place, and some of that still rings true inside of our churches, inside of our American idealistic view of what church looks like. That people come and they, and they sing these songs and they worship God with their lips and they do it because it gives them a certain standing and a certain position in the community or possibly even in just their social circles and they worship God with their lips from an external point of view, but their hearts are far from God. So almost 3,000 years encapsulated from the time of Isaiah to the time of, of today. And the same statements can be made about people because our hearts are desperately wicked as God tells us. 
800 years from Isaiah to Jesus, 2,000 years to now, and we still can't quite get the understanding that, that the salvation that God offers us, the provision and the protection that he offers us is a free gift. It's something that we get from him. Everything is from him and through him and to him. If you're following along the, the liberty uh, track, then you know that's what we believe here, that Romans eleven thirty six claims that and we believe it. That everything we have is provided by God, everything we do is through Him, and all of the glory is back to Him because salvation and the time we spend with our God should change our heart. If our heart is changed, then our activities, our behaviors, the things that we value in life will reflect that. The converse cannot be said. We could have someone that lives what appears to be a holy or a righteous or a good life in an external way, right? We've seen it hundreds of times play out in the news. This man that was a fine, upstanding pillar of the community or this woman that had, had served in the community in many and different ways had been leading a double life because their heart was actually far from God. Using an outside predictor or an external predictor of someone's heart is an impossibility. It's not up to us to judge people's hearts either. That is up to God. And as Jesus stands here in front of these religious leaders, we see him clearly communicate 3,000 years after Isaiah that nothing has changed. That as they stand there as Pharisees, they're still asking the people to follow them and not Jesus. To follow the traditions of the elders, these human traditions, these things that were woven into the fabric of Judaism and had taken over. And so my question here as we begin to look at how Jesus unpacks this for the rest of the passage is, are we, as a church here at Liberty, are we as a church in America, are we trying to, to follow religious rules and norms? Are we clamoring to hold on to the traditions of the past because we want it to go back to the way it was? We want to be normal again? Or are we moving deeper in our relationship with Jesus? Are we taking a moment here in this time that God has given us to reevaluate what it is that is truly important for our hearts? I got to be honest that, that everything that has happened in the world in the last few months has been incredibly heartbreaking, and I have a difficult time separating myself from the trouble of others. It has been really painful for me to watch the church struggle to change the way in which we have to do our services and we get to meet together is one thing. But, but to see us struggle with our identity in Christ is a totally different thing to me. As we deal with the cultural differences that we see in our world and the divisions that arise from it, it's a heart issue. 
And the only thing that we have in common as one race of people in this world is our need for a Savior. The opportunity we have to, to bind ourselves up as, as believers in Jesus is the healing salve that will bring about unity. It will bring about clarity and a forward progress. If we let go of some of those religious things that we have holding us back, a way that we're supposed to look on an external way as these Pharisees created more and more hurdles for people to get to Jesus. I don't want to be that guy. I want to remove obstacles from people's path. Jesus then is again with the crowd later in this passage. He talks with, the, the, with his disciples present to the Pharisees again about another ritualistic way that they're preventing people to know who Jesus was. And he addresses the crowd specifically about it. He says, Jesus called the crowd back to him. And he says, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. So Jesus turns this, this metric upside down on the Pharisees. He says, you want to measure people's faith by what they do, by whether or not they wash their hands, by what they eat, by what they, they do, how they wear their clothes, what it is that they tithe. You want to measure those external forces and those outward appearances, and I'm telling you that matters nothing if their heart is not in it. The Pharisees and the religious leaders were entirely concerned with an outward appearance that would be reflected, an outside influence that may change the way they are perceived. We talked two weeks ago about Jesus crossing boundaries, right? Because Jesus walked across boundaries to deal with a man that was outside of his, his group, his social group, his familial group, outside of his religious beliefs, he had been living among the tombs, which also defiled him. Jesus had already been on this track that, that these external forces, these things that you think make you unclean, maybe it's your heart that's the problem. Jesus says to worry about what comes out of your heart more so than what you eat or what the external influences are on your life, but more how you deal with them. Verse 16 is, is also interesting here. If you're following along inside your Bible, it may say that let him who has ears ha uh, hear, just like we talked about a couple of weeks ago. It's another phrase that is included that, that there are some people that are going to get this and some people that are not. And I pray that you're paying attention and that you're really listening to what the Word of God is saying, that, that these external forces, these things that are swirling around us, even in our world today, cannot defile us. It's how our heart digests them. What it is that comes out of our heart that matters. Jesus continues with his discussion in the crowd. He says, after he left the crowd, then he entered the house. 
And his disciples asked him about the parable, about what he was talking to the religious leaders about. And he looks at his disciples and he says, Are you so dull? He asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from outside can defile them? For it is, for it doesn't go into their heart, but it goes into their stomach and then out of the body. And in saying this, he declared all foods clean. Why is that last phrase a pertinent thing? Because Jesus is throwing away all of their cleansing rituals, all their dietary laws, all those things that dominated the Judaistic mindset at that point. That time in history was dominated by rules, and by restrictions, and by outward appearance, and what it is that you did and didn't do. What we would term it as today is called legalism. It is a form of godliness that we try to attain by how we behave. And Jesus comes full force against that and says, that is not what I am here for. You see, all those external forces, what you eat and what you do, that all goes into your mouth, into your stomach, and then out of the body. It has really no ability to defile you. But your heart, if it remains unclean, then you are in peril. That you are in jeopardy of being defiled from the inside out. Again, he comes against this outward appearance, these external influences. And they were being used by the religious leaders to set themselves apart from the people that Jesus was talking to. It was all about gaining an advantage over the common man, about a gaining an advantage in appearance to maintain control, that they are more holy, more righteous because of what they do. And Jesus declared those things void if your heart was not in it. If you were not doing it for the right reason, then you're not doing it at all for Jesus. He went on to tell his disciples, What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For what is from within, out of a person's heart, from it, for it is from within. So what comes out of you from within, from out of your heart, comes evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. What is truly important or valued to you in your heart is what sets you apart. As we analyze and think about what's going on inside of our world and we have all of our opinions about all of the various things that, that are going on around us, the most important thing that Jesus 
gives to us is an opportunity to check our hearts, to remind us that, that all of the things that are swirling around can't make me be somebody that I am not. That my, my reactions to the circumstances around me, I don't have to sin even though I may be upset with how I am being treated as an individual. I can be angry about what's going on. I can have that anger in my heart, right? Jesus says, in your anger, do not sin. See, what I feel inside can be different than how I behave because it's dictated by my heart. The converse, again, is not true. I cannot say just because I behave, my heart is pure. Just because I keep my tongue in check, that doesn't mean that my heart is doing it for the right reason. I may be doing it for a political gain or for a sociological advantage. I may be doing it just because I want people to perceive me as a nice guy. Here's the thing. Then just in your heart, be a nice guy. Follow the fruits of the Spirit. Against such things there are no laws. The theological premise that, that these verses stand on, that we extrapolate out, is called total depravity. That outside of Jesus' influence, we're not good people. There is no good in us that we are bent toward these things, that, that we are bent towards sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these evils come from inside and defile a person by their behaviors. They start as a seed in your heart. Envy starts by seeing something across the street that your neighbor has or gets to do that you don't. And it begins as a seed in your heart. It doesn't take flight until we continue to allow it to grow in our heart. If we allow it to grow and become bigger and bigger and bigger, then out of our envy we may really despise our neighbor because they have more than we do or because they've been treated differently than we are, we may develop that envy into an outward manifestation. But it starts in our hearts. So my challenge to you, and I'm going to send out another video this week, a three-step process that I want you to go through sometime next week. But I want you to take some time this week. I want you to set it aside on purpose. I want you to reread this passage, and I want you to see clearly that your life and your worship of God will reflect the condition of your heart. That your every day coming and going and lying down and sleeping and eating, all of that will be dictated by the condition of your heart, really. And I want you to take some time this week. Be very specific in how much time you spend just sitting 
I want you to reread this passage, but I want you to contemplate what Jesus says to these religious leaders and what he says to his disciples and the importance that our heart plays in our everyday life. And I want you to to remember that, that here, at least at Liberty Grace, we want to be a group of followers of Jesus that, that by our lives tell other people, by how we live our life, what, what comes out of our heart and what comes out of our mouth is over the, out of the overflow of our hearts. And it reflects that we truly believe that everything we have, every need that we have provided is from Jesus. Everything that we get to do on a daily basis is through Him and His strength. And then we give the glory back to Him. That we have an opportunity to do that. We get to do that on a daily basis. And that's why when you see me wear the t-shirt, when you see the logo, it says from, through, to. Because it's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle that's embedded in your heart. That is from within, and it directs your life and your worship. And all of the external forces, all of the things that that are outside of my body cannot affect my heart if it is found in Jesus. If I have allowed Jesus to change it, and I have become a new creation, as Paul calls it, that everyone who comes in contact with Jesus and surrenders his will and accepts that free gift of salvation is a new creation an opportunity to to represent that to our world as you reread this passage again think about how you want your heart to be changed and as a result of your heart changing and the softness you have toward your circumstances toward the people in your life then your life and your worship will reflect the condition of your heart and i pray that that looks more like jesus this week father thank you for the opportunity to to revisit this passage, to be reminded even in my own life that I am not responsible for all of the things in my world, but I am responsible for my heart and I give it back to you again. That I renew that vow, that I allow myself to surrender control of it, that that I don't want it just to be based on how other people appear Uh, perceive me, but I want them to know my heart, and my heart beats for you, that everything I do is from you, and through you, and to you, that I want to be the best that I can be for your glory. Lord, I pray that we would do that as a body this week, that we would take the time to inspect our hearts, and that we would renew our pursuit of your word, that we would follow hard after you. In Jesus' name, amen.